0: Hey there, Sonny and Shares. This is the part of the podcast where the host tells you all the ways you can support the podcast. And don't worry, we got you, babe. You can always leave ratings and reviews, become a Patreon patron, or purchase some merch. We'd of course love you to do all of that, and we even have some new merchandise up on the website for you. But we'd like to take this time to encourage you to instead donate that money to Black Visions Collective, The Okra Project, or any other number of deserving organizations Providing resources and support to black communities, and specifically black queer communities. If you have the time and the funds to support us too, that's great. We always appreciate a review on iTunes or Stitcher, but if it has to be one or the other, we'd prefer if you donated your money to these causes. On behalf of the entire Shared History fam, thank you so much, and enjoy the episode.
1: Welcome. Welcome.
0: To Arcade Audio. and welcome to shared history i am stuck on history because history stuck on me gross and but shouldn't it always be stuck on us in our minds and our hearts and our collective memories because as we all know history is doomed to repeat itself mm-hmm. but it won't if you just <laughs> remember it's history. stuck on you
1: like a disgusting band-aid half like peeled off and like flapping in the pool
0: yeah Everyone always does the whole, like, history is doomed to repeat itself. That's a cop out because you know it's coming. That's on you.
1: Also, don't get mad when trends come back around. Like, scrunchies are back.
0: And whose fault is that? And you know what? They're back. So just let them be. Right? They didn't hurt anyone. In fact, they did the opposite. My hair has never been pulled whilst wearing a scrunchie.
1: (laughs) I feel fashionable and
0: safe. And isn't that what we all want? That's all we want. <laughs> that was a, a, really long, <laughs> <is> a really long this a really long intro um to in case you don't know who we are at this point it's it's me your host Cass Maher and it's your
1: boy Nat Younger and over there on the ones and twos but gonna be quiet cuz he doesn't want to complicate editing things <laughs> it's, it's DJ Rip. And honestly we don't blame him.
0: You know what? Uh, I'm not going to say that Rip is a hero. Um, I mean, but I Rip will. is a hero. Because okay, good. Cause... He just does magic. And I just love you so much, Rip. And you can't respond because you're not recording right now. So... <gasps> oh my gosh, we can make Rip so
1: uncomfortable with compliments and he can't do anything.
0: To be fair, don't we usually?
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, also, by the time that this episode comes out, the DJ Strippers merch will be available on the store and That's right, ladies and gentlemen. That is that is the chef's kiss of making Rip blush uncomfortably.
0: We you know how like um Benedict Cumberbatch's fans call him like call themselves Cumberbitches? And he was mm-hmm. like, That wasn't me, that was them that called him that. No, we named we named the DJ strippers. Um any fan, and of we're grip, not sorry. We're not sorry about it. We've got a lot of merch out right now. We do, we do. We got more I'm coming. For- I'm really excited. I bought my t shirts very comfortable, and I spilled on a- it almost immediately.
1: Oh, no, but yeah, that's also- why I'm getting the red one because I then I can spill wine on it and I'm fine.
0: <laughs> was it wine? I don't remember what it was, but I spilled like right front and center, and it's like it's not white, but it's like a cream. And I was like, oh, "Are you kidding me? I just got this." My sister, I always joke. I'm like, "You doing like witch doctory stuff?" Because she always she makes her own like soaps and like dry shampoo and stuff. And she has this like insane stain remover. Like I spilled an entire glass of wine on my friend's brand new sweater. It was almost cartoonish. I just threw it on her. And she's like, oh my God. And my sister was like, I'll get it for you. I'll get it for you. She made this little concoction, put it on there. And as she's like putting this stain removal on the sweater, she spills more wine. She's like, it's okay. It works. It works. Like, there's no way this is coming out. It all came out and you cannot tell that it's there. And she has dubbed it the Stain Reaper. What I... Which First is the greatest of all, love name of that, right?
1: I love that. <laughs> Secondly, all I'm hearing is that you're a menace to society and and Kate is a hero.
0: 100% on both of those, but also Kate is a menace to society who then is a hero. And she's going I mean, to listen to this, so Kate, I love you. You're a hero. Fine. What I'm Please hearing forget then, that is I that, that I said you're a menace that- as well.
1: What I'm hearing is that Kate cleans up her own messes and also yours, I guess.
0: Okay, yeah. No, 100% Kate's a hero. Yep. Kate cool, 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 gonna, cool, 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 Kate's cool. going to call in. Callers? Who's there? Yeah. Kate's like, Natalie, thank you. Cass, we'll uh, talk. Do better. Be best.
1: <laughs> Great. This is a really <laughs> long, longer cold open than usual. Um, we have a some pretty history. warm open. Uh, a tepid open.
0: And and to to draw it out even longer, Natalie and I before we started recording, were like, I can't remember who's supposed to go first. You want to go first? I don't know who cares. I was like, let's just figure it out while we're recording. So, Natalie, do you have any fun ways you wanna? You got a twenty-sided die or? Uh, well, some I was gonna war? say
1: we could. I mean, we could do a cop out and go in historical, go in chronological order.
0: Okay. Well then, you would go first. We didn't say what our topics were, but you said yours is thirteen hundreds. I said mine yeah. is kind of about a revolution, but mine is set in um, turn of the century. Turn I also of the 20th. Like it's been a minute.
1: It's been a minute. Not, maybe not in release, but in in recording. I feel like it's been a minute since like you've been the one to bring us home. Bring him
0: home. There we go. On. I mean, sorry. It's also been a minute since we made a Les Mis reference, so I feel like
1: some of our listeners would say, "Not, it hasn't been long enough." But I disagree. I'm just gonna like get us caught in a in a loop. All right, I'm gonna get us out of the loop. Right, I'm getting right, us out of the loop. I'm getting get us, us into our time door. machine. Cass, you are always uh, bringing up the fact that I have mentioned that I dig the Silk Road. <gasps> oh my God, stop it! And so I'm I'm finally telling a story that. At some point during it touches the Silk Road. I'm yeah. not even telling the story of the Silk Road. Just part of what I love about it is that so many different like events have happened along it, and that it and it was like so central to history for so long. And so at this is me telling you in advance that at some point in this story, we will be on the Silk Road. Okay. for at least a moment. Oh
0: my God, I'm so excited. Also true about the Silk Road thing because I remember I wanted to do the Silk Road. And then I was like, well, oh, I can't, because that's Natalie's thing. But
1: also... I mean, you do you.
0: Also, when I started looking into it, it was like, first of all, it's such a long time period. So many things. Yeah. Ha- like, how do you pick one thing? And I ended up, like, taking us back to Alexandria and the library, starting from the Silk Road.
1: One, one does not just do the Silk Road. <laughs>
0: it's, and it is, it is a journey and not just a destination. Mm-hmm um okay sorry i seed so, i seed my time since
1: since i'm starting talking about the silk road you've heard of marco polo yes yes see if if at least only in the context of the pool game the pool game, <laughs> <laughs> um, or that app that has regained popularity during the pandemic okay italian merchant explorer who did like a big asian road trip on the silk road <laughs> and then published his i don't know travel blog uh, the Travels of Marco Polo. Thanks
0: for thanks for uh, spitting this for a modern art audience.
1: Yeah, I, do, <laughs> in, I do what I can. In case you
0: guys don't understand. In case you don't know, have
1: you ever heard of Ibn Battuta? No. Or have you ever heard of Batuta? No. Because
0: Ibn just means son of. I was going to say, uh, Ibn, I know that is a, like a, I don't know what you call it, like how Ben in, um, in Hebrew is, means like son of or whatever.
1: Yeah. So technically, Avicenna... Yeah, that you did a st- you did in season one uh, is also often referred to in history as Ibn Senna. Yeah. Okay. Neither had I, but also like I kind of had. Like I've I feel like I've heard the name Batuta before,
0: it or maybe sounds... that's just me
1: feeling like I should have.
0: But it sounds familiar, but I don't know anything about it.
1: So I'm. This is a really roundabout tangent about why I'm doing this topic. I'm. Re- <laughs>
0: I'm, Tell me a story, um, Natalie. I'm, Get me there. Mm, Sprinkle some fairy I'm dust. I'm
1: listening to Stamped uh, Stamped from the Beginning by Ibram uh, X. Kendi. Mm. Um, it's free on Spotify. Y'all should listen to it. And the whole first part of, of the book, uh, they're setting up, they're like explaining the different kind of theories that fueled racism, um, anti-black racism. And... Uh, Batuta makes a cameo appearance, mostly to just juxtapose another Moroccan scholar, um, Ibn Khaldun. Um, his writings from about the same time, because Khaldun condemns Black Africans as "quote close in character to dumb animals," uh, and pens like further how charming, way. sir. So, like most of the section about Batuta in. Uh, Stamped from the beginning is actually about Cal Dune, and it's about how he like was uh, somebody who was a supporter of climate theory, and well, yes, a dick. (laughs) Um, But that that he was like a support. He yeah, he wrote a lot about climate theory, um, which is the theory that the color of your skin is based on the climate that you were raised in. Yeah, Um, and so and it was yeah. It's a hot, horrible mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone should read it. Stamped from the beginning, not climate theory, because <laughs> hot damn. Yeah, so he. Is, so Ibn Khaldun writes a lot of, of like, st- basically stereotypical racist perceptions of black Africans that, like, you would read and think that, like, surely some mustachioed white American man from the Civil War would have said. Whereas Batuta is basically just brought out as like a counterpoint to Khaldun in the book. And he, he was like impressed by the safety and security and like Muslim religiosity in Africa. He had a quote that said that's quote, neither traveler nor inhabitant in it has anything to fear from robbers or men of violence. So Khaldun basically undermines Batuta's entire account of his trip to Africa and used climate theory to justify the Islamic enslavement of the sub-Saharan Africans, uh, and reinforce the conceptual foundation uh, for racist ideas. But this isn't about the- him. This is Let's not say about. Say it
0: again. This ca- isn't, this about, isn't him. about
1: him. Bless. This is about Batuta, whose name comes up in the book as though I should know who he is, and sounded vaguely familiar. And I was like, I guess I'm supposed to know who this is. Google, uh, Google, so Google. I-, I wrote it down in my phone, and I. Decided to do him for today. So sorry if y'all already know who this person is, and I'm the only idiot who doesn't. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Also, strap in for a very rough crash course, because your boy Ibn Battuta is a Moroccan scholar. He traveled. Oh God, that's not accurate. He traveled about seventy-five thousand miles, one hundred twenty thousand kilometers for fans abroad
0: to. uh convert but i knew you were gonna do it i knew it i'm on it
1: and he saw a bunch of stuff and he did a bunch of stuff and some of it's like asterisk like allegedly because of course i did a bunch of research and then at the end like at the end of everything i read it was like some scholars think that some of this was bullshit and i'm like damn
0: it <laughs> Well, also use this is like 1300s right this is the 1300s so, yeah. so
1: we're not gonna cover everything this is an overview and i will probably like jump all over in my notes and get very lost so be prepared to vamp for me when that happens i
0: got you oh no oh
1: nothing has made me feel more like i have to stay on track than the (laughs) risk of you just singing bring him home throughout this entire thing you know
0: instead of like jeopardy music or the you know the playing them off music at the oscars i'm just gonna start singing bring them home all right. Well, okay. Now I love. Let's. This. Now I gotta, hope you get lost. <laughs> we gotta strap
1: in because we got seventy-five thousand miles to cover, and we don't want to. We don't want that much. Bring him home in our <laughs> lives. Ibn Battuta, uh born thirteen oh four. He's a Muslim Moroccan scholar and explorer.
0: Great. If title you have heard it
1: with, right? If you have heard of him, it is because it is because probably your history class very briefly touched on him. And touched on oh, there's another explorer I can't think of now, a Chinese explorer, and then would have also probably touched on like Marco Polo, but because Marco Polo is white, uh, white, uh, well, I would say like European because Ibn Battuta refers to himself as white, okay, in in some of his stuff, but that's because well, we can get into me talking about <laughs> about race for a very long time, but. Even if you've studied him, I'm sure it was probably just like. Also, there was this guy Ibn Battuta who traveled a lot too, and that was probably the footnote that you you want to
0: know more about.
1: Yeah, welcome to shared history. Yeah, so those seventy-five thousand miles that I mentioned uh, before, one would be enough of a distance to circumnavigate the globe three times. Shut up! Are you serious? Um, mm Mm-hmm. Just like if you were going, just like in a loop-de-loop, which I will post a photo of of Ibn Battuta's routes. They are not in a loop-de-loop around the globe. Oftentimes, they are doubling back on themselves or or a cause of him just not taking the most direct route to where he needed to go. Just circuitous. You want to enjoy the sights. Just just meandering. Silk Road, baby. I gotta Um, see it all. They were traveled over a period of like 30 years, 29 years, and are detailed in his travel blog. Which the full title of which is "A gift to those who contemplate the wonders of cities and the marvels of traveling. Brief. <laughs> it is it is most frequently referred to as the Travels <laughs> uh, There is oh i can't I can't find the other, uh, I think Arabic like shorthand for the name of it. I can't find that in my notes right now, so we'll find it later. It's The book is like a thousand pages, and if you're thinking right now, I want to read it, you can't. Uh, <laughs> basically, you can't. Ibn is born in Tangier, which is modern-day Morocco, and I'm bad at geography, so if you're as bad as geography as I am, let me explain roughly where this is, but I didn't write it down, and I don't have a map in front of me. So, Tangier, you're at like the northernmost tip of Africa. The rock of you- Gibraltar. You could spit into Europe. <laughs> like Europe's right there across the water. You've got which I would assume is then the Strait of Gibraltar. Is that Gibraltar? I don't Yeah, the Rock I'm of Gibraltar
0: so just out of Africa and then there's a Strait of Gibraltar right there. I'm hella good at geography. Yeah. Good, because I
1: am not. Um so like Europe is like right there. Like you can see Europe from your backyard. It
0: would be Spain, um, I believe. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Which at this time in history, uh, at least much of southern Spain is uh, is Muslim. Thirteen hundreds, and so then you're right by the Atlantic. The Atlantic is like just over there to your to the west of you, and then the ooh
0: ooh oh what is it ooh Mediterranean Sea. sea.
1: Is it the Mediterranean? Mediterranean, Yeah, the Mediterranean is just (laughs) serious. Why am I doing this if you're better at I was going to be like, let me break down where it's at. So point being that you're kind of in the middle of everything. Like you're very close to a bunch of different Like if you're
0: going to take a Viking cruise to Greece, you're going to just loop the Mediterranean. You'll probably hit Morocco Mm -hmm. on the end of your trip. (laughs) Yeah. And and then there's uh, a... Hashtag Viking Cruise Sponsor.
1: Get I don't a want to be sponsored by truly any cruise lines. Let's be—that's fair. Be clear.
0: That's fair. He he's
1: born and raised. He grows grows up right there, kind of in the middle of all of this stuff. His family is a lot of people in his family are study Islamic law, like Islamic justice, like, yeah. uh, and so he becomes a Qadi, which is a judge, a Muslim judge or magistrate. He's educated in and certified to make decisions according to Sharia Islamic law. It's a job that ends up serving him very well on his travels, because basically anywhere he goes, if there's, like, a Muslim community there, he can have a job. Like, he has a job. Yeah. However, Islam is practiced differently in all of these communities, and so he has to, like, he, he keeps learning, and the pursuit of further knowledge is a huge central part of Islam
0: yeah. anyway. Well, and this but point is, this era, I mean, I feel like the golden age of Islam and everything, everything was about learning. Like, if you were a, yeah. if you were a lawyer, you were a philosopher. If you were a, whatever you did, it's like oh, also philosopher poet. Like, I feel like that was just yeah. kind of tacked onto everyone's description. So, not much is known about
1: his childhood, other than that he becomes a cadi. Um, age twenty-one, he starts his pilgrimage to Mecca. It's 1325. This whole trip to Mecca and back, uh, the annual pilgrimage should take like 16 months to two years depending on how long he decides to stay in Mecca, studying with other religious leaders and spiritual leaders. So that's about how long he should probably be gone. Mm. And he goes obviously motivated by religious duty to complete this annual pilgrimage and also a pursuit of for further education. He's alone at first on his journey, but by the time he reaches Tunis, he joins up with a caravan of others on the pilgrimage, and he ends up getting, like, kind of a side job as their caddy, so that, basically, he can settle any disputes Mm. without them having to stop the caravan. So they're like, this is great! Yeah. Yeah. But then he gets sick, and so he has to take a little pit stop, I think, around Tunis. So he takes a little pit stop to, you know, recoup, because he's got, like, a fever... There's a a great source that I watch that has like a bunch of videos on. It's called um, Extra History, and it's they they take this moment to say that he he kind of demonstrates some very peak Ibn Batuta things during this break because I guess he's very judgmental.
0: Great for a So lawyer. one of the
1: things, yeah, one of the things that he does in. While he's like in this stopover, is he goes to like an Egyptian bathhouse and he gets all mad that there are people in the bathhouse naked, <laughs> like in the water, yeah. which I guess was like against the law. But everyone's like, "No, it's cool," but we all do it. Yeah. And so, rather than just being like, "Oh, this is just whatever; it's against the law," but they're all, but everybody's doing it. He goes and he tells on them to <gasps> the governor. He tattles, and they start a yeah. They start, like, a crackdown on on Islamic law specifically as it g- comes to dress code at the bathhouse. <laughs> and so in this video, they're saying, like, here are two things that are very indicative of kind of who he is that you see come up a lot. And the other is that he uh, gets married and divorced all during this stopover, um, which is very common. I guess divorce was very amicable and common in the Muslim world at this time because it was the easiest way to get a divorce was that if both of you were on board with it. Yeah. And it was very common for travelers to... Oh,
0: that's cool. For example,
1: for, like, sailors to, like, stop somewhere, be there for a couple of years, get married, and then just, like, get divorced when they had to leave. <laughs> Great. So he ends up he is, like... This is the first of his, of, like, ten wives. Oh, my goodness. Um... But I just love the bathhouse thing because it's just historians refer to him as like a busybody in a lot of sources. So but we're just going to say he was a bit of a Karen. (laughs) Um, It's a little bit of a Karen because he called the manager on them.
0: Oh, I'm picturing whatever uh, Batuta looks like with just a short crop and like a like spiky hair in the back, just like a blonde Karen wig.
1: (laughs) Yep. Oh,
0: uh, hope that fad doesn't come back. we've
1: already spent too much time in this one port Sorry. for how no this it's my fault it's my fault because i love i love that he tattles on them <laughs> But he's going to Mecca. So en route to Mecca, he stops in Alexandria, uh, Cairo, Jerusalem, Damascus, all the way while collecting more certifications and diplomas, getting married and divorced again. You know, like you do when you're on the road. (laughs) He finally makes it to Medina and then to Mecca. Uh, He completes all of the rituals of the Hajj and studies and studies. It's 1326. So he left in 1325. It's 1326. He's right on schedule for... The amount of time that he Killing planned on it. being away. Yeah. Yeah. But he's officially caught that wanderlust bug. You know, he has, he has, he has Instagram grids to fill. <laughs> so he decides not to head home right away. Also, at some point during this or like the next 80 cities I mention, he heard that the Sultan of Delhi is looking for cadi. A certified cadi and boy howdy does this sultan have a reputation for generosity and wealth?
0: Ooh, I want to work for him. (laughs) Yeah, Ibn Battuta's like, all right, I'll I'll just like
1: choose a destination of Delhi and eventually, eventually I'll get there and I'll have this sweet job. But like, I'm not in a rush. Oh my god, I gotta build my resume. So he starts heading generally that way, crossing the Arabian desert to Iraq. He's in Baghdad. He meets the last of the Mongol Khans of Iran. Uh, he travels with them for a little while because he's like, I'm not in a rush. So they go up to Tubriz, which is the capital of the, of the of that particular Khans capital he meets all these like merchants from other places in the world then he goes back to baghdad and now you know now he should go to india right just kidding he decides to go back to mecca what? and make the hajj once again but he's tired so he like takes a break he's traveled 4000 kil- miles so
0: the hajj in a year the hajj in islamic is tradition the is they're the five pillars of islam it's what it's prayer fasting Oh my god, I forgot all of them. But the hajj, it's like all things that, that Muslims must do, and if they can take a trip to Mecca one time in their life, and it's like a whole. Yeah. In case so this you, is y'all second. don't know about the five pillars of Islam. There you this go. This is his second. Yeah.
1: He's like, whatever, I'm in the area, I may as well go again. Some people never How make great. it once. Yeah. He takes a breaky-poo once he gets to Mecca, hangs out for a little bit, recuperates, because you know, he's traveled like 4,000 miles six point five thousand kilometers in just the last year so he takes a little breaky poo and then you know he'll go to india absolutely but at some point early in his travels he decides you know what i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna take the same road twice if i can avoid it so he tries to go south and go via like sea so south in the red sea and around like the southern tip of the Arab Peninsula. That's like the route that he's like, oh, I'll do this. And then I'll pop up in the Arabian Sea. And then like pff, Delhi's right there. I can get there. Uh, but he gets blown off course. And then he's like on the southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula. And you know what? Africa's right there. Oh, my God. So let's go to Africa. Why for a not? Let's like, do it. A brief, a brief sojourn <laughs> to Africa where he like basically goes on a he goes on a viking cruise of the eastern muslim ports um plus ethiopia which i think at this point is predominantly christian okay
0: when you're saying um, ports as in p-o-r-t-s i just keep thinking you're saying the word parts but like in a natalie that was a cool port
1: oh yeah i'm <laughs> sorry i i was like what's a natalie oh natalie's where you just mispronounce vowels intentionally and annoy na- and annoy cast at them yep Yep, that's all
0: right. It's my favorite now. I'm always saying ports.
1: You're welcome. We'll never know. These are these are actual ports. We'll never know what you mean. (laughs) We'll we'll never know. I'm my own worst enemy. (laughs) Um, So he like hops around Africa, and then he like hops back on a ship. This is probably the first time in Africa that he's ever seen Muslims as a minority. Mm. And then he like hops back on a ship to the uh, Arabian Peninsula, and then he'll go to India, right? I don't believe you. <laughs>
0: <Because> <laughs> Fool me once. You're learning.
1: <laughs> You're learning. Nope. He takes a side trip to the Gulf of Oman, but their, like, guide tries to, like, rob and kill them. He barely escapes. He does make it to the Gulf on foot, finally. Close call. Maybe now he should go to India. Just kidding. Let's go back to Mecca we- for the third
0: time. <laughs> That's overkill. He's just showing off We now. go back for
1: the third time. And now we'll start heading to India. Just heading there. Yes. Um, by, and I'll say it again: the least direct route. <laughs> he can't find a guide, but he knows that the Silk Road. Eh?
0: Hey, hey.
1: Here it is. The Silk Road connects Anatolia to India. So he's like, I'll get on. I'll go up to Anatolia, which is like modern day Turkey. Yeah. Not the right direction. Way north. That he needs to be north. going. He's like, I'm gonna go up to Anatolia. I'll, I'll, I'll find like a caravan that's heading down the Silk Road because I know that if I stay on the Silk Road, it will take me to India. So he goes back to Cairo and then to Anatolia, the opposite direction of India, to catch a caravan. He heckin' loves Anatolia. <laughs> Side note, he calls it one of the finest in, finest places of in the world. Everyone is like super nice to him. They're like it's just people being like really good hosts, yeah. and he's like, this is great. These people are really nice. He experiences like a lot of culture shock because there's a lot of Christians and uh, and Jews mm-hmm. in Anatolia at the time. But he kind of like everywhere he go, he goes, he's experiencing culture shock even within the Muslim community. Yeah. But, like, in Turkey, the Muslim women weren't veiled uh, and were seen as, like, almost near equal to the men. Or at least were, like, held up uh, in higher regard than in other Muslim communities. Now he's on the Silk Road. He meets up with another Khan. This is Uzbek Khan of the Golden Horde. He escorts – he should keep, you know, going down the Silk Road, but instead he, like, volunteers to escort one of the Khan's wives, who's a Byzantine princess, back to Constantinople – because sure
0: i mean it was it was
1: an opportunity for him to see quote-unquote second rome yeah um and to meet the emperor of the byzantine empire yeah because that's a big thing his daughter his account of second rome shows him like shows him as a very like tolerant and curious man which like comes up a lot in various sources i read about him is that like he wasn't perfect by any means but it seemed like everything was very fueled by curiosity and so even if he would be upset or confused that say at some point spoiler alert we'll get to the maldives maldives maldives, maldives. why am i so
0: bad maldives i'm like i say it I say it, and then I'm like, that's not right. But it was right the first time. I feel like the those, Maldives. there's those words that you read, and in your head, you're like, oh, I know how to pronounce this. And then when you say it, you're like, I've never actually said this out loud.
1: Yeah. Uh, when he goes to, like, for example, the Maldives, he's like, hey, women, maybe wear tops. And they're like, "Now nah, we're cool. And he's like, this is so, like, uh, the opposite of... How women in my Muslim community dress. Yeah. So like he's he's kind of constantly in this like state of culture shock. Yeah. But for the most part, it seems like he's fueled by curiosity mm-hmm. and has a generally
0: open mind. Well, I mean, especially someone who's going seventy five thousand miles slash one hundred twenty thousand kilometers. If you're gonna get nitpicky with every different thing you see, you're you're gonna waste a lot of time. Yeah. It's just interesting because it's like on some hands he's telling on people in bathhouses. He's telling on people <laughs> in
1: bathhouses, uh, and then the and then and like he'll try to force like the Muslim women in other cultures to like cover up their tops. But then he's also generally painted as this like more open-minded scholar yeah. compared to Cool
0: Coolden Cool that I mentioned earlier. That sounds like um, a uh, a Scottish musical. <laughs> it's like a sequel to Brigadoon. Okay. Anyway, focus. Sorry. That's my, he no, finally that's on makes me. it to India. Wait, oh, no, he's, he's in India. He finally makes we it to India. We made it. Attaboy. After a brief
1: trip over to... The rest of the world. ...Constantinople. <laughs> By his own dating, it's 1333. But everything's like, mm, it, that's not possible. <laughs> like, the amount of traveling... Because he had just gone to Mecca again. Yeah. They're like, there's no, there's no way well, yeah, cause that, that he could have made that distance.
0: That would have been how many years according to him?
1: 1325 since he was when he left home.
0: And he's um, saying it's 1333 right now?
1: Yes. Yeah, no, nah, I don't buy it. And like, think about all of the places I just told you he went and then imagine a map and how much of that is like, literally looks like... Like a heart rate on a monitor. I mean, like (laughs) if you're flying,
0: if you're flying Spirit Airlines to all those places, you're not making it in that amount of time. Like there's no no way, dude. (laughs) No,
1: certainly not. Mostly by like foot Foot. and like caravan and camel and and wagon. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) Great. So he finally, he finally makes it to India. He gets immediately like immediately the Sultan is like, you're dope appoints him the grand qadi of delhi which he is both qualified for on paper and underqualified for in experience and the ability to speak the language of the courts in delhi which is persian which he doesn't speak
0: also dude you're like 10 years late to your interview
1: yeah right <laughs> well, i mean he didn't know he was coming oh okay. he was like amassing he was he was like amassing wealth so that he could like make a gift because he knew got it that the custom was, like, you show up and you say, like, like, I brought you this gift. And then the sultan grows great and then takes that, but then, like, gives you basically three times it yeah. in, like, So he's like, I know that this
0: would be a good job. Slaves. Let me go get there and get it. Mm-hmm. But I'll detour to... The, the whole
1: time he's traveling, he's building his resume. Got it, got to got it. Got nice So that's CV. why I say that he's... Qualified on paper because he has like all of these diplomas from like Damascus, Got and it. he's like hung out with and studied with all these spiritual leaders. But yeah, Islam is practiced differently in India. Yeah, and the language of the courts is Persian. So he's like,
0: mm, I've like never had a job before, dude. <laughs> but that's the- like going to an interview and being like, I don't know Microsoft Office. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's basically the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it's a like ho- basically the this same is a thing. Horrible analogy.
1: It's like being certified in Microsoft Office, but having never actually used the program. There we go. Having we never actually it. opened a computer. Yep, there it is. Um, which he had not. He had not. <laughs> the Sultan I will probably cover at some point in the podcast at a later date. The Sultan is Muhammad ibn uh, Tughluq, and he is kind of known as like. The Mad Sultan, which, look at me, I covered a mad queen of Madagascar, and now I have a mad sultan? What am I? Mad? (laughs) But the Muhammad uh, ibn Tughluq is like, here's some assistance and a lot of money, you'll be fine. The next couple of years are bananas, because it's like Batuta and Sultan, like, BFF times, like, they're, like, going on all these campaigns, but Muhammad's called the Mad Sultan for a reason. He runs real hot and cold. He like Katy Perry. <laughs> He's super suspicious, and maybe a little paranoid. Don't be, suspicious.
0: He... Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Sorry. You know when... As you should. When Jean-Ralphio and Mona Lisa have yeah. yeah. scene? Don't yes. be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Oh, you Don't mean like when...
1: When... They fake their death? Two loves of my life do a dumb bit?
0: You know, yes. I... I have been binging New Girl um, again, and I realized I'm Schmidt, and I also took one of those like Parks and Rec characters things, and I got Jean-Ralphio, and I'm like, it just it just checks out. I I'm a Schmidt love, with a Jean-Ralphio moon rising.
1: I love Ben Schwartz. So much. So much. So much. Like, I just want to hang out with Ben Schwartz, and and I'll hang out with Jenny Slate. That'd be dope.
0: Yeah. But I also kind of want to hang out with Ben Schwartz as John ralphio oh, No, I just want to <laughs> hang
1: out with Ben Schwartz. Like, I just want to hang out with Ben Schwartz and Lauren Lapkus. <gasps> I just want to be their friends.
0: Ben, Lauren, so if you're much. listening, and Jenny. Right? Give us a, the email. Just email the podcast. Sharedhistorypodcast yeah. at com. Let's be friends and hang out. Yeah. We,
1: Lauren Lapkus and I, I feel like just barely missed each other because she graduated from DePaul.
0: Oh, Yeah. Did she do so, improv? She did stuff at one of the theaters in Chicago, didn't she? I don't remember. I feel like I've seen a picture of her on some hallway somewhere.
1: I'm sure you have. I'm sure even if she like just like passed through a level one like, in IO more. that she's on a wall <laughs> yeah. there. Good for you, Lauren. Anywho. Back to India. <laughs>
0: Bring um, him home. Sorry, that was my fault that we <sighs> tangented.
1: Oh, good. Great. Well, eventually, we're going to bring Ibn Battuta home. So it <laughs> works. And I'm, I'm, we're doing it. <laughs> um, Eventually, he falls out of favor for like a hot minute. And like the sultan like puts him under house arrest. But then like doesn't like he thinks he's going to kill him. And then he doesn't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Super fun times. Sounds toxic. The sultan appoints him as the envoy to the Chinese emperor. And so he starts going... Now to China,
0: he hit that Silk Road again. Uh, no, because I think we're well. Maybe
1: they are on it. No, they're about they're, they're too far water south. For, yeah, they're too far that down. Was too far south. Basically, like he, it's like he escaped the mad sultan, but like he doesn't catch a break. Like if if some of the sources are to be believed, like his diplomatic party is like immediately waylaid by Hindu insurgents. He's on foot again. He then he gets captured again. Then he, like, bribes his way out of captivity. Then he, like, somehow finds, like, the only Muslim man in this entire, like, mostly predominantly Hindu territory who, like, feeds him and takes him to safety. Where he gets taken to safety just conveniently happens to be, like, six miles away from, like, his buddies, the rest of the diplomatic caravan, which he assumed everyone was dead. But they were like, no, we're good. We're good. We still have your wagon. (laughs) So he like rejoins the caravan and you think like, whew, except for no. Then they like go down to the port port town of Calicut. Uh, they shipwreck. I think they shipwreck again. He goes to the Maldive Islands to lay low for two years. You know, he gets married, and then he gets divorced. And then he goes to another Maldive Island and gets, like, married two more times there, and then divorced. He, this is, I'm just rushing through this now. Yeah. He goes out to Sri Lanka. He survives another shipwreck? He goes to Bengal and Assam to lay low again. Then he finally is like, I don't have the things I'm supposed to be bringing to China from the sultan, but I can't go back right. to India. He's
0: mad at me.
1: He'd be, he'd be very mad at me <laughs> if I show up and I have not done what I was supposed to. And that's kind of why he may have been like hanging out in the Maldives, yeah. just like... Chilling with the... Hiding? No one wearing tops. So finally he goes to China. He's like, whatever, I'm going to like at least complete part of my mission. He sails first to Sumatra, which is, I think, modern day Indonesia. And then there's a whole lot of discrepancies in his Chinese itinerary and it's hard to nail down like what exactly happened and where he actually went because he says that he went as far inland as Beijing and also in his book it says that he like went into what is now Russia. Also And all of this is like
0: uh, Dude likes to travel, so he could have gone a shoot ton of places we don't know about. Well, but also
1: dude isn't writing anything down.
0: Wait, seriously?
1: He's not writing anything How do he, know he didn't have at? like. as far as we know he didn't have like a journal yeah on this trip he literally dictates this later from memory when he gets back okay. so that's why everything's like these dates that's why he's this, like oh geography. yeah well, it only took like
0: 10 years to do the hajj three times okay yeah wait <clears throat> don't say he goes back he does not go back to mecca <laughs> he goes back are you kidding me Yep, he he makes his way back
1: to like Baghdad and Syria via via the Persian Gulf. Meanwhile, like pretty much like the Black Death is like at his heels. We got a plague. He doesn't. He's fine, but like plague is everywhere, and somehow dude doesn't get it. Uh, Like every time he's going back through these cities that like he has passed through before, like they're devastated or like all the leadership has left. Like Cairo. Like I think two hundred thousand people in Cairo
0: die. Well, you had
1: talked the about
0: in um because
1: this is medieval times. We're just further south than people tend to. Well, when you, yeah, study w- when you were talking about um,
0: <laughs> in America, Pope Alexander. Which pope were you talking about? Pope Gregory. Pope is Gregory. Gregory. And, and I think Gregory Nine. Yeah, and we were talking about the plague and everything, and you gave like a kind of geographic description of the scope of it. And everyone always talks about the plague in Europe, but it hit. Everywhere. it devastates asia yeah and it
1: devastates like it devastates egypt especially because all these all these people are traveling everywhere yeah and like rats like to hang out on boats and like ticks like to hang out on camels and horses and stuff so rats
0: gonna be rats ticks gonna be ticks rats gonna be
1: yep they gonna be ratting and ticking <laughs> But, you know, with all of this Black Death, he's like, all right, sure, why not? I'll go to Mecca for a fourth time. (laughs) It's not as, like, beautiful as he remembered it because it is also ravaged by plague. Plaguey. Very plaguey. So he finally decides to head home. At some point, like, I think 15 years before he goes home, he gets word that his father's passed away because his parents are both alive and well when he leaves. Oh,
0: he's also had, like, 10 wives by now, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. A bunch
1: of wives. Uh, he's had, like, just, like, he just has, like, children. All over. All over. Yeah, a lot of Ibbins. um A lot, lot, lot of little Ibbins. So he decides to head home. Uh, one thing that I read said that they think that his mother passed away from plague maybe weeks before he made it back to Morocco. Really? So he gets back to Morocco and he's like, well, shit, everyone I love is dead. I mean, maybe I shouldn't have left for 30 years. Guys, I'll be right back. During a civil, like a time in civilization when like life expectancy was basically thirty years, yeah. he comes home and it's like he's like forty five years old, and he's like, "All right, I guess like got to catch them all." I've haven't been to all of the medieval Muslim world, so he vis- he goes to Granada, which is in Muslim Spain, and he makes a journey to Western Sudan. He goes to West Africa. And that's where that's where the account of of his time in the Empire of Mali um, that I mentioned at the beginning of this epic of me just <laughs> naming cities that he went yeah. to and wives that he took. That's where that kind of account comes from is from when he uh, went to the Mali Empire. And his account of the Mali Empire is actually considered like one of the most important sources of that period for the history of that part of Africa because really? there wasn't that much written about it and now it's like nearly the end of 1353 he returns to morocco and now he dictates from memory the tales of his journey so that's why like ultimately dude sees almost the entire muslim world of the 14th century right. like he misses he misses central persia armenia and georgia but um, he didn't
0: even speak Persian to begin with, so <laughs> yeah. Well, it didn't stop him from practicing
1: law in Persian. <laughs> He's known as like in, through in history as like the traveler of Islam, which well earned. Yeah. He if if his stories are to be believed, because they think that he didn't obviously remember everything. Right. He kind of fudged some dates because he was just trying to remember things, and they think that like also the right the scribe who he was dictating to filled in some blanks with like more flowery language Mm. or like accounts from other travel journals to kind of like fill things out, which is why they're like, he didn't go to Russia. yeah. But he meets 60 heads of state. He visits 40 modern country. He almost dies so many times. Mm. And he witnesses just so many different cultures, so many different practices of Islam and military campaigns, somehow escapes the horrors of the Black Plague. And yeah, but he's... Known as a now as like a curious observer of different cultures and ways of life, and I read something that was comparing the way that he wrote and who he was to like Marco Polo, and Marco Polo also only like traveled like twelve thousand kilometers, I think, or maybe miles. And it's like Ibn Battuta was very well educated, and so everything of his experiences he's writing from a bit more of a personal perspective yeah. and an educated perspective and he's known for describing his experiences with a human approach rarely encountered in other historical sources so his book whether all of it is accurate to actually his experiences yeah. or not or whether some of it was backfilled from other sources is still was still considered a major source for the histories of many of the areas he traveled to or allegedly traveled to, and are mostly are like great detailed accounts of the culture in yeah. those areas. If not always, so he's almost an a, like a of event.
0: Yeah, I mean, like he gives because yeah, when you think of like history at the time, yeah, they talk about the societies and everything, but I feel like they talk more about like I don't know. I feel like when historians talk about other you know countries or whatever, they don't really go into like. Their historical practices or whatever—they're like, this is their timeline.
1: So that's cool. and he's more of he's more of talking about this is who the people the, are, the culture and action that he saw. It's also it's also interesting because and this is like a huge difference between him and Caldoun. As a Moroccan scholar, it's and as a Muslim scholar, it was like very impressive and strange that he how. He considered polytheistic religions because I don't know. I guess Moroccan scholars at the time could get along with and and kind of respected Jews and Christians to an extent because mm-hmm. they're monotheistic. But like, well, and they're also in China,
0: derivative of the um, yeah Muslim a lot. Yeah, but in you like go back far enough in the Bible, China, there.
1: China's po- po- China at the time is like completely polytheistic, and most. Other, and like, there's a lot of African culture is polytheistic.
0: Well, he, he and encountered, Hindus, yeah, Hindus.
1: Which a lot of Moroccan scholars, I, I guess, deemed like not worth studying. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't perfect. He still like wrote about like, he called people who didn't believe in Islam infidels. Right. And he judged them harshly, especially if they were naked in the bathhouse. <laughs> but, I don't know. Yeah, no, had that a thirst is for knowledge.
0: That is an interesting perspective of... You think of a time period and you think of, you know, a certain scholar or, you know, I feel like there were a lot of, so many scholars in Islamic tradition, like you said, it's like a central tenet and that you kind of always feel like you get the same kind of, maybe not perspective, but voice of like, Mm -hmm. we all like, this is what I got from this, but we all kind of have a hard line on the same thing for all historians. So that's cool to get kind of like a a warmer, different, fresh take on things. Yeah, and it's
1: like, even if not completely open-minded and accepting of it, he was still critical of it, at least, like, curious and not just immediately condemning of different
0: practices of Islam, but also... Well, whether, yeah. yeah, whether he thought it was right or wrong, he wrote it down, so now we know about it.
1: I liked it. There's something that I read that said that A lot of this is why I think it's very appropriate to say that he wrote a travel blog, a thousand page travel blog. Ibn Battuta's writings of each of the places that he stopped give you a pretty decent understanding of like he writes a lot about food Mm -hmm. and agriculture and like he's anti Bourdain practices, yeah, and court and court processions because that's like part of his job, right? Um, and how hot the local ladies are,
0: hey, 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 he
1: loved them ladies, (laughs) but. Actually, like, if you don't, if you aren't a historian and you aren't super familiar with the history of the time and the geography of the area, you wouldn't want, you wouldn't be able to read his book anyway, because he doesn't provide a lot of context, historically, of what's going on. Also, German scholars, like, didn't get a hold of his manuscript until the early 1800s, and, like, they're still translating it.
0: I mean, it's a thousand pages, so it takes a while.
1: Yeah, and it's very expensive. Like the portions of it you can get. Oh, I'm sure. So.
0: Well, so okay, so, so you can't read it. So you said Caldun was that a contemporary of his? No, it was I, just comparing their thoughts. Literally, like they
1: one they were like ships passing in the night. Like I think Caldun w- headed out to the Mali Empire right after Batuta returned from it.
0: Okay, but they were of the same time. So their they were at the are same compared. time. Okay,
1: got it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like there's like this passage where he's writing about China where he's kind of commending the merchants of China. I mean, and, they kind
0: of crushed it.
1: Right? He's just like acknowledging how great the merchants are in China and like how kind of thriving Chinese society was, yeah. at least where he was at during that time. And but but then like remembering who his audience is and being like right. but i as a muslim <laughs> could not stay here but like he's just kind of been like but they're they're, they're okay also they're pretty
0: dope i was just thinking of being like good for you other other civilization whatever the silk road a single trading route uh is older than the united states of america mm-hmm. 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 we little baby country <laughs> But we're, like, the best and we know everything, okay? Oh, my God, we're so smart. We're in our shitty teenage-adolescent phase right now.
1: (laughs) I would say that we learn from our mistakes, but, like, we never make mistakes. You just don't
0: understand us. (laughs) I'm going to my room, Mom. Britain. Hold the phone. Stop the presses. Everybody stop what you're doing right now. Be cool. It's just a normal day. We are stopping right now, just briefly, To let you know that this episode of Shared History is sponsored by Raygun. Raygun has been called the greatest store in the universe by Raygun. They are the most important clothing store Earth has seen since the early Mesozoic era as they specialize in t-shirts and modesty. If you breathe oxygen, you'll love it. And yes, this is a real ad and Raygun is a real company with stores in the Midwest or you can shop online at raygunsite.com. Raygunsite.com is spelled obviously R-A-Y-G-U-N-S-I-T-E dot com. If you use the promo code pew, pew, you're gonna get free shipping on your orders. Pew pew, of course, is spelled P-E-W-P-E-W. Again, that's raygunsite.com, promo code pew pew for free shipping. Commence episode. Well, I I would like to take you from China all the way to China, what? Yup, yup. Okay, okay. So okay. I'm gonna tell you about Qiu Jin, who was a a Chinese revolutionary. She was a um, a, like a feminist, like kind of warrior poet badass. She is known as the Chinese Joan of Arc. Like, <sighs> yeah, I found her in New York Times does. It's called New York Times Overlooked, and I actually mm. wrote down the little description from it. So I guess it's like an, an obituary thing or whatever, but it says, since 1851, obituaries in the New York Times have been dominated by white men. Now, we're adding the stories of other remarkable people. Which is, like, good for you, but also, like, I don't know, the way that's worded makes it seem like, yeah. here you go, guys. Um, It had a list, I think most of them were were women. Um, but it had just this list of all these different women through history of different cultures and time periods and like these amazing things they did. And I don't think I'd heard from heard of many of them. But I came I across. I wonder
1: if this I wonder if she's on my list. Get that list. Of, out. Like, I don't.
0: Okay, well, you no, know, I'll, 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 you... I'll talk. I'll talk. And we'll. Yeah, we'll, we'll throw the once list. You, once on you the... get into the story, yeah. I'll, I'll I wonder if so. She's... Chiu Jin was born in eighteen. Seventy-five, so uh, close to the turn of the century, but like seventy-five years before or twenty-five years before. Math. Uh, she was born in Xiamen, China, uh, which is the southeast, like southeast China. It's a port city. Port. It's a port. Um, she. So it's part of a city. It was port of a city. The best port. Yeah, so she was born there and she moved to, oh, and of course I didn't, oh yeah, born in Xiamen and grew up in Shaoxing. They're both southeastern um, coastal towns in China. She was born into a fairly well-off family. It says they were of the gentry, although they were, their name was declining. So not like top dog, but she grew up comfortably. Um, her father is a government official. Her mother, it said, was uh, from a literati official family. So she fancy. She's smart. And she was subject to, you know, Chinese traditions of the time. Her feet were bound. She was forced to learn, you know, needlework and housework kind mm-hmm. of duties. And she was in an arranged marriage. Spoiler alert, she hated all of these things. She was married at age 20. And she went from uh, to a man named... Wang Tin Jun, uh, he was a wealth. His fa- his father was a wealthy merchant, so I'm assuming he was probably a wealthy merchant. Um, yeah. They didn't say him. They're like, son of a wealthy merchant. I was like, we're not talking about like, his dad. Maybe, maybe like he
1: was wealthy but not a merchant. I mean, like, I assumed he...
0: he just like took over the family business, but I don't know why they didn't just say that. Anyway, she married. Maybe this they guy. wanted to
1: make it clear that he did not. I'm not my dad. He did I'm not. Not work. you, dad. To no, I was gonna say that he didn't maybe they want to make it clear that like he didn't like earn his own wealth oh, or yeah. like probably. Like, he just took like daddy gave him a job. Yeah.
0: But like he so earned it. So he's not it. a quote unquote self made like, man it when my dad gave it to me. Anyway, uh, she married at age twenty to this guy and they moved to Hunan, which is like inland China. So she like, grew up on the coast mm-hmm. and then he's taken her all the way to Hunan. They had two kids. Uh, and they lived in Hunan for seven years and then they moved to Beijing, which was the imperial capital of China. When she moved to Beijing, she met a lot of like-minded and progressive women and she got, she was interested in Chinese uh, government and politics. She was educated so she could read and she was right and she loved like poetry and learning and stuff. It, at this time. Learning and stuff. You know, the learning and stuff. Uh, at this time in in you know, late 1800s. Uh, this is the very end of the Qing dynasty, which was, I believe, the last like imperial dynasty of China. And from what I understand, I, I mean, it was around for centuries, I believe. But from what I understand, it was preceded by the Ming dynasty. And then the a group of people called the Manchu people kind of started t- taking over or infiltrating uh, China and they were they were a minority group but they were controlling most of China mm-hmm. Chu did not like the Manchu people they were kind of oppressive I believe they like they were they held the wealth she was uh, she became like a nationalist and she's like I want to give you know I want to overthrow the Qing dynasty and I want to give power back to the Han people which were the the majority mm-hmm. in the of the Chinese people and a lot of things said that like the, the Qing Dynasty at this time, they were just, they were not open to new ideas. The, the wealthy elite were running everything and they didn't want to change their systems of government. They didn't want to reallocate wealth or land or anything. They was rich and they wanted to hold on to that. And anything that was going to threaten that, they're like, nah, shut it down. So she met all these people while she was in Beijing and kind of became a bit of like an insurgent or whatever. She joined. Uh, she. It says I have a quote here. She unbound her feet, drank copious amounts of wine, and begun experimenting with cross-dressing and sword play. Oh my God, I love her. Yes. Um. It says she looked up to female Chinese heroes like Mulan. Um. And she mm-hmm. was just like, I want to be a badass. I don't care if I'm a woman. And she took a very like she was all about like a revolution, throwing over the Qing dynasty. But it was mostly about like y'all aren't treating women super great. And she was at the forefront of the fight of like equality between the sexes. And so she had these like, uh well, before all that. So she was kind of being like, Oh, I'm in the big city now. I'm meeting a lot of like smart intellectual people. I'm gonna unbind my feet. I'm gonna dress up like a dude. I'm gonna drink some wine and stuff. Um, And her husband was kind of just like, kind of just like a bore. Like he didn't like poetry. He, he, uh, he wasn't really interested in much. I think he was kind of just, I'm going to go to work. It was like a wet blanket. Exactly. He was dull. So in 1904, at 28 years old, Chua ran away. She, le- she left her two kids and her family. She sold all of her je- jewelry and she sailed to Japan. So it's like, good for you, girl, but also like you left your kids. But also like, you know what, dude, what you got to do. She went over to Japan where there was a group of... Of people in this in the secret society that she had kind of joined in when she was in Beijing, Ooh. and it's called the Love a secret society. I know, right? It's called the Tongmingsha, and basically, Tongmingsha was like a a collective of all of these different secret society like underground resistance movements that all kind of like joined together. It was also known as the Chinese United League or the Chinese Revolutionary Alliance. So she kind of was like getting into that in Beijing and then was like, fuck this. Peace out, Wong. I'm leaving. I'm going to Japan. Except she didn't tell him that. She just left. And in Japan, there was this, um, it was kind of like a lot of expats. And they were learning, like she learned Japanese, and they were they were it was very much like an intellectual kind of mm-hmm. let's learn about, you know. Radical government and all this stuff. the The Tangminxia, uh they were their ideological beliefs were a mix of Republican nationalist and socialist objectives. So, I mean, I don't know exactly from which parts, but they wanted to get China back. Then, I mean, I'm always wary of the word nationalist, but yeah. it was like. From what I've read, it's like it's it's easy to it's easy to bristle at it. Yeah, in uh, and nowadays in this country, especially. Yes, but but from what it seems like, it was more of the Manchu people. It was like the Han people wanted to; they were kind of being oppressed, or you know, it seems like kind of not feudalistic, but definitely like there's the high elite and you know that one percent ruling over mm-hmm. the ninety nine. What? No way. So she went over to Japan in 1903 to study. She learned martial arts. She was known for wearing, like, Western men's clothes. So there's this great, like, black and white photo of her in, like, a three-piece suit. And she's just, like, kind of mean mug in it. Oh, my God. And she was known for being a nationalist and anti-Manchu, and she had anti-Manchu uh, Manchu ideology. So some of these, like, revolutionaries that she was working with and learning from in, in Japan – they wanted like they wanted immediate action in China. They wanted to be like, all right, let's go over now, let's rise up, let's get our country back, all that stuff. And then some of them wanted to stay in Japan and study more and try to figure out, you know, like let's let's talk it out a little bit more. Well to that, Chu thrust a dagger, this is a quote. Into the podium saying, if I return to the motherland, sur- surrender to the Manchu barbarians, and deceive the Han people, stab me with this dagger. So what side do you think she was on? She wanted to go kick some oh, ass.
1: She was ready to go. She was ready she was to, to go. go.
0: So she went to Japan in 1903. She left Japan uh, for China in 1906. When she was in Japan, she edited like all this like revolutionary propaganda. She had a journal that was... Oh, I didn't write down the name, but it's it's like the Women's Revolutionary Journal or like the Women's Enlightenment mm-hmm. Journal, something like very radical, very obviously like she's not trying to hide her th- her thoughts or feelings about anything. Uh, she prom- promoted this like Western type of government, saying that it was better for women. Um, this I won't say like democracy, but whatever the West was doing at the time.
1: Yeah, um, was Japan any like more liberal? And that's why they were or were they more of like safe in Japan because they were very clearly, quote unquote, enemies of the state of China.
0: Yeah. And that's what confused me because it it didn't seem like I I got the impression of like, like the lost generation in America, how like all the poets Mm -hmm. went over to France um, and they're just like, we're just going to drink wine and like ruminate on how like sad we are and stuff. I got that idea. Like it wasn't like Japan did not really care that they were there.
1: But also, it was, okay. yeah, it's it's it was just like an artist's retreat. Yes, to
0: but for um, you know, people studying martial, martial arts, arts and, and stuff. yeah, <laughs> um, she uh
1: for women's lib and martial arts. Yeah,
0: she worked at a. It was like it was called like a women's women's learning repertory or whatever, and it was it was known as a uh, t- it was for sport teachers sports studies really it was to train insurgents in martial arts and like militarize and so yeah so she's doing all that in japan and then she comes back to china um she comes back
1: and she's like she's batman yeah
0: exactly (laughs) um she was she was known as an eloquent orator so she's she's back and she's like Preaching the good word, like ladies doing it for themselves. Oh, that's that's not Batman. Yeah, um, she <laughs> she's training revolutionaries. She's doing all this stuff. Uh, and in 1907, her her cousin Zhu, uh, who helped her, like they both together were uh, uniting all these secret societies for the um, the Tongmen Shui. and he was uh captured um right before an a suspected uprising um that got thwarted so he was captured he was tortured and he gave up information that uh chiu was like here she is and she's going to do this thing or whatever like so the, the the chinese officials like knew where she was or whatever mm-hmm. um and they captured her They tortured her. They tried to get information from her, but she did not rat. And instead, since she did not admit to being a part of anything and she didn't give any viable information, they used all of her propaganda writing against her and used that as their kind of, like, justification for executing her. And in 1907, at the age of 31, she was beheaded. Um, Yeah. And she became this martyr and she was the Joan of Arc and, sh- and, you know, everything kind of went downhill from there for the Qing dynasty. Uh, there was a, a, a historian who was a bit of a critic of hers who said that, so I'm just going to quote, it says, over the years, critics have accused her of being naive in her belief, widely shared at the time, that overthrowing the Qing could resolve China's social and political ills. Others said her death was unnecessary since she had ample time to escape from the advancing soldiers. Apparently, some people think that she knew that they were coming and she like hung out, that she kind of had this idea of Mm -hmm. if I die, then that's going to ignite the spark. Um, She was beloved in China. Like everyone loved her. Goody two shoes. She, she's killing it. She's, you know, you're the best insurgent of all of us, and you're teaching the best. You're the best sport teacher, and like, she mm. was just so well spoken, so good at everything she did. Everyone, everyone, thank your sport teachers. Mm, it's like not my fault that everyone likes me. Um, <laughs> Gretchen Wieners. So yeah, so so she was like beloved within this um, this revolutionary community, and then so. The people who say that like her death was pointless it goes on to say perhaps her most notable critic was lu Jun, one of china's greatest 20th century writers who believed chu's reckless behavior in Jing was linked to the enormous adulation she received during her time in japan she was quote unquote clapped to death he told a friend so he thinks that she was a martyr and like oh look at like almost kind of like, I want to die and, like, I'll be a yeah. hero, you know, that she was just so used to, like, fucking kicking an ass and, like, being adored for that it. That she
1: assumed that if she died, then her uh, her cause would...
0: Yeah. almost like, yeah, you know, it's like legacy, like, I'm the one, uh, like, borderline... I'm more like,
1: powerful dead than alive.
0: Yeah, but not so much of, like, I'm doing this for them, but he was arguing that she's a bit more narcissistic about it, which, mm. yeah. But at the end of the day, um, the the Qing dynasty was over overrun. Also, part of the reason why so many people wanted to rise up and uh, revolutionize was due to Western influence as well. China had, like, it was, it was the Opium Wars, and it was their battles mm-hmm. between, like, Britain and I believe France as well for um, for trade. And they were kind of getting screwed over by Europeans, go figure. And, what? you know, and not... And it was affecting the the Chinese people and they were kind of giving leniencies to Europeans of like, oh, yeah, whatever, do this. Um, They weren't, they didn't like how their rulers were dealing with Europeans. They didn't like how the majority of the people were kind of underlings to this uh, minority of elites and they wanted. Well, yeah, it sounds like every, like their
1: leaders are putting like everyone before. Yeah. Their actual yeah the actual people of their country, yeah,
0: because by the time i mean when when Chu was born, like this was like i the Qing dynasty had already started to decline, so mm-hmm. it wasn't like they had been killing it, and like, oh, things are going along, it's like we're in damage control we're mm-hmm. we're clearly you know. There's uh, wars abroad. There's wars at home. We've got all of these like they had so many different territories and annexations and everything. And and it was just it seems like it was just kind of like chaotic. And people are like, let's just, I don't know, refocus um, and take care of our people. Uh, Her last written words. So Chu translates to autumn. And her last written words were autumn wind, autumn rain. They make one die of sorrow. Damn, girl, you an emo pop punk singer. Yeah,
1: um, she's very she's very you don't understand. Yeah, me.
0: she was. I mean, she was a poet, and people talk about how like she was so smart, so well read, so um, eloquently spoke, and she uh, could write poetry. She could fucking kick ass. Here's a a poem that she wrote in 1904 called "Regrets." Written en route to Japan. And it goes, "'Sun and moon have no light left. "'Earth is dark. "'Our woman's world is sunk so deep. "'Who can help us? "'Jewelry sold to pay this trip across the seas. "'Cut off for my family, I leave my native land. "'Unbinding my feet, I clean out a thousand years of poison. "'With heated heart arouse all women's spirits. "'Alas, this delicate kerchief here is half stained with blood and half with tears.'"
1: Damn. She just like she just journaling just yeah on her way. Uh speaking of
0: journaling on her way to Japan. Speaking of journaling, her pen name was Shensha uh Nuchia which translates to Woman Knight of Mirror Lake. That was just that was just, you know, it's like signed sincerely Woman Knight of Mirror Lake. I don't know what Mirror Lake is, but I don't know, it's pretty dope. She's, uh, she's, you know, still. she's studied today. She is a hero of, of China. They say that there's like a monument. The article I read in the New York Times said that uh, people will go to her monument and some people even recite her last words of, of um, what is it? Autumn wind, autumn rain, they make one die of sorrow. And yeah, she kind of, kind of like, she didn't lead this movement, but she kind of like sparked it or like yeah she i mean she was a leader of it but it was kind of her that was like i'm a hero she's like we're not we're not
1: going back with our tails between our legs if
0: i have to get my head cut off and she did
1: she's like rather they cut my head off if they don't if i don't if i don't make them so mad that yeah. they cut my head off then i want you to stab me with this dagger <laughs> <laughs> it was it's it was kind of lose lose for yeah. her
0: <laughs> well and it was said so So the, like, the Chinese, you know, officials, whatever, went to capture her because they they knew where she was going to be. And it said that she drew a sword and started fighting them all and uh, said that she was overpowered quickly. But, like, there was probably a bunch of whole guard there to get her. Um, But, like, she's, like, going down swinging. She's going down fighting. Yeah. And and it, it seems like she knew this was coming, too. Whether how much in advance or how much planning she actually had for it, whatever. But... She knew they were coming for, her and she's like, "Uh, uh, uh, I'm not telling yeah. you shit." I love that. Yeah. What was? Uh, how do you spell her name? Uh, Q I U, J I N. Two words. And apologies um, to any uh, Chinese speakers who are who are going to correct me on my pronunciation. I looked up a bunch of pronunciation things and tried to write them in the margins as I was going along. I did my best. I was gonna say, like the I
1: can't fucking pronounce Maldives, and <laughs> you're like I'm like not I'm not confident in my pronunciation of Maldives and like shit that I see all the time, <laughs> and you are just very confident.
0: I did I did a, a few maybe YouTube. How do you pronounce this? And tried to write it out phonetically and get it as close as I could.
1: See, but whenever I do that, then I like forget how phonetic spellings work
0: i <laughs> you gotta get hooked on phonics I, yeah
1: <laughs> i gotta get hooked on something
0: history cause um, history's hooked on me oh mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, another part of of uh Jin's journey um is she it's it says like in a lot of her editorial stuff it mentioned that she wrote vernacular and stuff and when we uh when when I did my uh, episode on the Tale of Genji, there was a lot of that, like, women weren't supposed to speak Chinese. No, or what was it? Every, in Japan, everyone spoke Chinese, but women couldn't because it was, like, too manly and they couldn't figure it out or, or whatever. Um, yeah. A lot of, especially a lot of, like, I feel like when there's revolutionaries and stuff and when it's literature-based... Uh, there's always these big movements of using the common language as opposed to the highbrow language, or, mm-hmm. you know, that was a case in, in you know, when you talk about, like, switching the Bible over from Latin to vernacular, like, whole schisms happen with that. So I, I didn't look into that as much, so I don't know if it translates in Chinese, in Mandarin, in a common tongue of yeah. uh, specific to that, but... um. But that was actually another interesting point that they talked about her... Because women weren't really encouraged to read or leave the house or do anything. So not only was she educated, um, liked poetry, did martial arts, I'm assuming that there was definitely probably a language thing, especially since uh, the Manchu people and the Han people were different ethnic groups. I'm sh- I'm certain there was mm-hmm. some sort of language liberation there. I, I love
1: that you in a uh, half an hour told more story than I told in like an hour of me just going.
0: And then he went back to Mecca. I told you when we were, well, first of all, of course your story is going to be circuitous. His literal life was like physical yeah, this journey. This is true. But I told you before we started the episode, I was, cause usually I'll like type things up on the computer and like, I'll like, I'll open a document, like copy and paste and put stuff in. And then I'm like, Oh, I see this. But like, Every I wrote it out today, and every time I write it out, I, I'm pretty good about keeping things chronological and don't meander as much. So maybe that I'm was... Chronological, there was there was just too much there. I Well you also covered 35 years. This is
1: true. Like, I also mm-hmm. used JSTOR.
0: <gasps> Shout out to JSTOR, hashtag sponsor i just I just you know love you.
1: That you can you can log into JSTOR with uh your
0: do you have a Chicago library card? I do. I just got one actually. And by just got one I you mean can, before quarantine. Just in time. And then that. went to Please Des Moines Chicago. and have not able been able to use it. No, let me Oh,
1: I will teach you so many things. You know what? Maybe our listeners need to know. Maybe your local library also has this app. Um there's an app called Libby. Can you spell that? That is a L I B B Y. Oh. It's a I, I believe mul- lots of chains of libraries uh, use it. And so you can go on that app and you can uh, check out ebooks and, um, and audiobooks from the library via that app. And if you have like a, an e reading device, you can have it sent to that, or you could just have it sent to your phone. You can read it on your phone or on your computer. Um, and I love it. Because the library is just reopened, but that you can actually so I finally I've had a Samantha Irby book since February. That No fines, baby. I finished Yeah. I finished reading. Well, I just keep getting an email notification being like, It's renewed. You have twenty four renewals remaining because they just keep <laughs> auto renewing it for you. Yeah. But I dropped it off last week. That has been like great because I'm mostly trying to read things that I already owned and hadn't read yet. Mm-hmm. But there have been certain things that I've wanted to read that I'll just kind of go and check and see if they're available on Libby. And I, So if you have a laundry list of things that that you've been wanting to read... Go support your you local mind, library,
0: kids. Get yeah. Libby. Start reading. Read a book. But also you can
1: use your... Uh, if you go to the JSTOR website, or at least this has happened to me several times when I've tried to click specific links to JSTOR articles, it has prompted me... It says like log in through your institution, and the Chicago Public Library, and I think a lot of libraries are institutions on there, so you can log in. You can use your uh, public library login. Do they do to access JSTOR?
0: Uh, um, do. What a fun literal journey! And I love that we kind of overlapped a little bit. When you said that yours was, you said
1: that yours was revolutionary. I assumed revolutionary war, which is because
0: we don't like to, dear readers. We don't ever tell each other our topics before. But sometimes when we're trying to figure out, like who should go first or what's the tone of this episode going to be, we'll like give a little, a little yeah, nugget a little where nugget. I'm like, mine's kind of like war, or like mine's like about a, a scientist or something. And so I knew mm-hmm. I didn't want to say where it was or whatever. And I knew if I said revolutionary, you wouldn't know what i was talking about i had no
1: idea i loved the journey i loved that we tied in that we tied in because we eventually made it to china in my saga and i I had a pretty good segue usually you're the queen of the segue and i it was beautiful thank you also like totally very interesting because not to make this long episode even longer but (laughs) very long (laughs) oops um the part of what Ibn Battuta was like so impressed with in China, there are a lot of things that, that also kind of say that he's pretty narcissistic or like at least very motive wealth motivated. Um, And so he was like, I got to get to China, this like amazing civilization where even beggars are wearing silk because in uh, back home and when he was in India or no, it was when he was in Africa, like only the elites are wearing silk. Like oftentimes like the elites are wearing silk all imported from China. And so he saw the culture and civilization civilization of China as such a bevy of, of wealth and prosperity and kind of used the fact that even the beggars are wearing yeah. Silk as kind of like his marker for that. What
0: um what year did you say he he was living? is 1330s or 20s? That he was living Or he was born, when was he born? I'm trying to figure out what he was, dynasty he was
1: He set out he set out when he was 21 and it was, he was born in like 1803, I think. Is what I said.
0: 1803? Because Or sorry, 1303. Oh, okay. So that would be the the Yuan Dynasty. It's called the Great Yuan. That's probably he doesn't, so like, probably, I mean, he doesn't make fancy. it probably to he doesn't make it to
1: China until like probably like thirteen forties. Mm-hmm. But yeah,
0: okay. Sorry, I was just looking up dynasties, and and the Song Dynasty was before the Yuan. The Wen and that was when Tail Genji was written. Anyway, huh. sorry. Now we're now we're meandering on our own. T- Bring him home, and there it is. I did ask you to bring this episode home. Episode home. Thanks for sticking with us on this on this 500 mile journey times a few more. Natalie, can they can they can the people talk to us? I would love it if they talked to us. I would also I would love it if
1: they went and looked at our social needs mm. just because i'm gonna have a map of this as you say circu- cir- charcuterie cir- cir- <laughs> this charcuterie board of a journey <laughs> that is not he he did not it, it partake in charcuterie boards he's muslim oh yeah um <laughs> but it was circuitous but, uh, <laughs> Thank you. That word that I can totally say. Take a take a gander at this journey. Take a gander at some badass pictures. Hell yeah! Uh, from Cass's story over at uh, at Shared Pod on Instagram and the Twitters. Uh,
0: also, I mean, jump over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you guys listen podcasts, and please throw do little, throw a little review, throw a little star rating. We super appreciate it. It helps people find our podcast. And if you have any... that I'm going to steal this from you. I'm sorry. I'm I'm bringing it home. Good for it. Uh, it belongs to the podcast. It belongs to us all. Uh, if you have any questions, corrections, or suggestions, maybe some topics you want to hear us talk about. Go ahead. And- or maybe you, maybe you don't listen on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher and you want to send us very nice words. We would accept that as well. Exactly. Because then we throw that on our social medias and we can do a Fan Friday. Anyway, you can do that at sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We'll write back. We promise. XOXO, Gossip Girl. Anything History else? Gossip. No. I think just one more thing. <gasps> yeah. Share you later. later. That was the best one. The best share you later. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at ArcadeAudio.net. <laughs>